All right. Good morning, everybody. It's amazing how much it thins out when you turn the kids loose, isn't it? You have a really full church when the kids are here, but it's good to see everybody this morning, and uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. So I want to tell you another thing. So, how, I mean, worship's pretty awesome every time we get to come in here and worship together. Wouldn't you say amen to that? And our worship team's pretty amazing, right? Amen. You can give it a clap if you'd like. But the first song, you, you probably didn't notice the first song because that was actually a City of Hope original written by our very own Caitlin Bray. So that was a, a pretty good song that we played this morning. Uh, but man, it's exciting. Lord's taking us places. Amen. We're going places. It's good to see everybody again this morning. We're, we're so glad you're here. We're in the book of Daniel. We've been in, in the book of Daniel for like eight, nine weeks or something like that, going verse by verse through the book of Daniel. And we're actually like, we're in Daniel chapter 10. And what I want to, so you can go to Daniel chapter 10. I'll read a few other verses other than Daniel 10, but we'll kind of go verse by verse through that if you, if you want to follow along. And the, the message that I want to speak to you about this morning is, I'm going to call it the invisible war. The invisible war. And we'll find out a lot more about what's going on. But here's the thing. In Daniel chapter 10, what you got to understand, let me give you a little background. Daniel has been exiled with all of the, the, the people of Israel. They've went into a place called Babylon, which is essentially a wicked kingdom, but Israel had rebelled against God and they continued to fail to listen to the Lord. And ultimately, God brought judgment upon them and Babylon comes in and they are exiled into this place under King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel is just a teenager with his buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, right? He's a teenager when he begins and now that we're at Daniel chapter 10, he's probably about 80 years old. He's lived a long life. He's been faithful to God. But see, things have happened. He's went through a very difficult season in life. When he goes into Babylon, there's no, no longer any true worship of God. The church shuts down just the same way that it has shut down in our lives over the past little bit. And there's no true worship of God. He can't fellowship with believers. And all sorts of difficult things are going on. He's been, he's been made a eunuch. He's been enslaved. He's been given another name that is a name other than the, 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 his own name that worships God. It's, been a, it's a name of a false god. He's being taught false religions, but yet he's maintaining his faithfulness to God throughout all of the difficulty that's going on. But see, he begins to see some visions. And he sees some good things because last week we talked about the fact that Gabriel actually prophesied to him the exact day that Jesus Christ would come and they would proclaim him to be king. That was in Daniel. Uh, chapter, chapter 8, right? At the very beginning of it, at the, at the very end of it actually, a prophecy comes forth from Gabriel and if we look into it like we did, we see that to the day Gabriel was able to prophesy to Daniel and say that from the time that the commandment goes forth for you guys to go back home to worship God to Jerusalem until the coming of the Messiah will be 69 sets of 7 years. And when you do that to the day, it is the day that Jesus Christ comes in and they bow down and say, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's an amazing prophecy. He sees that, but not only does he see that, he sees other nations that are going to rise up and conquer and take over the world. And he gets even a picture of the coming of the end of the age. He gets a picture of the Antichrist. And he sees all of these things that are going on. And you've got to imagine, I want you to imagine being brought away from your family, away from your home, being exiled into a foreign land, being enslaved, your life taken away from you, being given another name. You don't even get to go to the college you want to anymore. Or you're taught things that are against what you believe in and you're forced to do what the king says and you're trying to remain faithful for eight, 80 years. You don't get to live the life you want, but what we've said every week is you may not get to live the life that you want, but you can always live the life that God wants for you. 
Amen. It's not so much about our external circumstances as, as it is, is what God is producing in us. But see, he goes through a season here of mourning and anguish and deep depression. Anybody ever been there before? You ever been in a place where you just feel like, man, this is overwhelming. I see the world and I see all of the brokenness in it. And it seems like it's one hit right after another. That one thing right after another is coming to me. And even when God gives me revelation, it's not the revelation that I'm looking for. I, I want revelation that says, God, you're bringing an end to this. You're restoring my life. Everything's going to be set back to the way that I want it. I'm going to be able to go back to worship, back to my family, back to my home. And I'm going to get my dream job and career and everything's just going to fall into place. And we're going to have a, a Disneyland type of an ending. Amen. That's what we all want isn't it? But Daniel doesn't get that and he goes into a place of despair, of mourning, and of brokenness. And what he realizes in Daniel chapter 10, what we're going to see, and this is what I remember back whenever COVID hit, you know, Donald Trump gets up and he says, we're at war with an invisible enemy. And I thought to myself, well, guess what? We've been at war with an invisible enemy since the very beginning. Amen. We have a war and Daniel, see, I want you to imagine when you see all of the things that are going on in our world in the natural, what's in the news cycle and what's even going on in your life, the difficulties that you face. What if God could peel back the veil and show you what is actually taking place in the spiritual realm? Because we have to understand as Christians, we do understand as Christians that from a godly perspective, He doesn't just see what's going on in the seen realm, in the physical, what we can touch. When He sees a virus, He sees forces behind a virus. When He sees death and disease and when He sees brokenness and abuse and pain and loss, when He sees all those things, He doesn't just see it in the natural. He sees what is taking place in the spiritual realm. And all of a sudden, God peels back the veil to Daniel and begins to show him things that are taking place place to give him a godly perspective on what is happening. Now in Revelation chapter 12 verse 7 through 9, let me read this to you just to give you a little bit more perspective. Because the war that we are fighting is actually, you may be fighting a war in your life right now. There's something going on. Maybe it's over your marriage. Maybe it's over your family. Maybe it's over your children. Maybe it's over your relationship with God and you moving forward. It may be something in your job. It may be related to your future. It may be over a loss that you faced recently. But you're facing a war. But your war is not, you're not alone in your war. Our war is a part of a great bigger war. And in Revelation chapter 12 it says this, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now this was legitimately, this took place before the world was inhabited with human beings. And you see that, that God has created beings that are outside of this world that really we live in a dimension that is not even as great as the unseen realm. And he says that there was angels and he even named specific angels. In the book of Daniel he talks about Michael and his angels and they went to war against the dragon. The Bible teaches that Satan was an archangel, that he was an anointed cherub that was designed to lead the worship of God in heaven. And he covered the glory of God. He protected the throne so to speak. But pride was in in his heart and he lifted himself up and he said, I'm going to make myself like the Most High. And he drew a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God, but it says war broke out in heaven. Now let me tell you something, and I've said this before. When God goes to war with Satan, he doesn't have to put out any effort. He can end Satan just like that. 
But He has created multiple beings, humans, angels, cherubs, all sorts of divine beings and human beings. And we have free will. He has given us realms of authority within His creation, whether it be in the heavens or upon the earth. And whenever the war broke out, it wasn't God that did anything to Satan, but it was Michael and his angels that cast them out of heaven. And it says that the demons did not prevail. And I want you to understand that no matter what you are going through with God, the enemy will never prevail against you. Somebody amen me. Jesus said, he said, look, on this, on this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are not simply trying to defend ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. We are trying to take the enemy's ground through the authority and victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the church has that authority to advance against the gates of hell and they will not prevail against it. That's who the church is. That's our identity. But we do have to understand that still yet we are in a battleground. We are in a warfare. And Daniel Daniel, when he lived, he was in a great warfare and he began to realize this. And one of the things that he realized, see, they didn't have worship. Can I tell you, I don't know if you believe this or not, but can you even just tell a difference? Like when we were, when we were out of church, when we weren't worshiping together corporately, I don't know what it did to you, but for me, there was a, there was a drain. I saw people being isolated. I saw people talking to me about they just don't know what's going on. They felt depressed. They struggled with what they were dealing with in their life. And I'll tell you why. It's because a big part of the Christian life, the people of God, their life and their strength comes from the corporate gathering. Somebody amen me. It's been from the very beginning. And when they went into Babylon, they no longer had a corporate gathering the same way that we did. And that's why, look, I get it. We need to be safe. We need to be careful. There's a pandemic, stuff like that. We need to be careful and be wise and be safe. But ultimately, at the same time, we understand that the people of God must come together and worship one way or another. The people of God must always come together in worship one way or another. Because when they come together in worship, the word goes forth. They respond in worship to God when the truth is revealed. And they are empowered by the Spirit of God to go out into the world and be a witness. And as long as that is happening in spirit and in truth, what we see is we see the powers of darkness being defeated and broken in our communities. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to shut the church up. He wants you to not hear the word. He wants you to not gather for worship. He wants you to not experience the presence of God in corporate gathering. And ultimately, He wants to stifle your witness so that you'll no longer speak about Jesus in public. And this is the war that we face. And these are the things that were going on in Daniel's life. And for 80 years, he was dealing with this. I mean, sometimes you deal with something and it, and it takes a while. Like, you ever just dealt with something and you're like, Lord, this has been going on for a daggone month. I mean, what in the world is going on? You know, Daniel been there 80 years. He was weary. You ever just get so worn down with what's going on and you feel like, when will this end? And you get worn down and you get weary. The people of God in Daniel chapter 10, they were weary and they were waiting. And Daniel sees all these things from God and ultimately it seems like evil is winning. You ever been in a place where you feel like, man, the devil's just winning right now? I mean, if you watch the news, that's what you probably say. I, sometimes I turn on the news and I look, even this morning, I, I slide left just to see what's on the news. And you got fires raging in California. You know what I'm saying? There's almost never any good news to watch. And if you look at it from that perspective, you say, boys, the devil is winning. And not only that, right here in my own private life, I'm just getting one attack right after another and it is knocking the wind out of me and I'm weary. And see, Daniel was in that exact same place and it seems like God is nowhere to be found. And he experiences something, if you read in Daniel chapter 10, called complex grief. Let's, let's read in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. 
He said, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Twenty-one days, he was in a state of depression. He was mourning, he was weeping, he was broken before God. And for three weeks he was doing this. And he said, I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So at this point he is grieving, he is mourning, and he is processing what's going on. He's isolated. He's isolated himself from everybody else. And he's experiencing something that is causing deep grief in his life, and he's figuring out, how do I process this? How do I get through this? So he begins to enter into fasting. He begins to enter into a time of mourning. And here's what you have to understand about this moment in Daniel's life. is At this moment, he has just realized, according to the last chapter that we studied, that God made a promise. He said, I know the plans that I have for you. It's plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And he said, at the end of 70 years in Babylon, I'm going to release your captivity. I'm going to move the King Cyrus's heart. And King Cyrus, God prophesied this before Cyrus was even born, by the way. King Cyrus was born and he releases them from captivity to begin to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild what had been torn down. But at this point, only 50,000 of all of the Jews that had went are willing to even go back. Now I want to tell you something. I believe that that's different than what we're going into because right now what I'm seeing is something totally different in the church. What I see is that even though the church was shut down, I see people hungrier than they were before it was shut down. I see that there's a movement happening that isn't like it was in Babylon. It's not, it's not that the church said, you know what, well forget about it. We don't even need church anymore. No, people are realizing that they need the body of Christ, that they need an encounter with the Holy Spirit, that they need to gather together and worship Jesus. And fire is being birthed in their heart again to realize this is what we need because we don't have anything else to put our trust in in this world. We need Jesus in this hour more than we need anything else in our lives. And so he's sending a bunch of them back and there's a, 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 and worship. Work is starting, but as work is starting, they are experiencing physical opposition. You, do you understand that anytime you do a work for God, you're going to experience opposition? You know why? Because we're in a war. There is an invisible war. And when you move toward God, I talk to people all the time. They're saying, you know what? I've been praying this week. I've been fasting this week. I've been doing things this week, just like you said. I heard this in the past couple of weeks when we fasted for, for, from several people. And because we think that if we worship God, if we begin to pray, if we begin to seek God and do the will of God, that everything should just be easy and we should just start floating into our destiny. But I'm telling you, when you push toward God, when you say, I'm going to make a move for God, I'm going to take a stand for God, you become a target of the enemy. But I need you to understand that God has made you to become an overcomer. Matter of fact, I believe that the Lord will see you strengthened and rising up in Him and say, that one's getting strong enough to where he can defeat the enemy. I believe I might just rile up the enemy and let the enemy attack him so that he can turn and whip his hind end. Somebody amen me in a church this morning. So when an attack comes, do not look at it as God is not there, God has failed you. Look at it as you are strong enough to overcome in Christ Jesus. And He's, and he's raising you up to be the one that will defeat the enemy in this hour. You're going to get attacked, you're going to face opposition. Battles are going to come, and they came for Daniel. But here's where Daniel really, I believe, got depressed. He saw the rest of the people going back to Jerusalem, and he realizes, I'm 85. I'm in a high-risk zone. Somebody amen me, right? This is a high risk for me. Like, I need to not only wear a mask, I need to just stay at the house. And he's having to stay in Babylon. 
And he's watching all the people go back and he's realizing in a moment of time, my whole life just disappeared right before my eyes. I'm 80 years old and maybe my vision for my life didn't happen the way that I wanted, but man, you're talking about Daniel who was mentioned as one of the most three righteous people in all of human history by God himself, right? He was listed in the ranks of some of the greatest of all time. Why? Because he was going to remain faithful to God even when his life didn't turn out the way that he thought it would. But he's weeping and he's mourning and he's going through this and he's dealing with this sense of powerlessness. And every day he's got to decide because his name is Daniel, God is my judge. But they gave him a name, Belshazzar, which means Baal is my God. And every day Daniel had to get up and say, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to live according to faith in God or I'm going to live according to fear? Am I going to do what the world is telling me to do or am I going to do what God is ultimately telling me to do? He had to make a decision. Am I going to maintain my identity in Christ that God is my judge or am I going to bow down to these false gods and whimper in cowardice and in fear and ultimately just allow the world to push me away from God, to get angry, to get bitter and see the world as broken and falling and, it's nothing, and, and I can't overcome it? You ever been in that place? I've been in that place, folks. I've been in places where I feel like even... even Maybe even more times as a pastor. i got to be honest with you. Before I became a pastor, depression came around a lot less. You know what I'm talking about? Like hard times, it seemed like they came around a lot less. With more, with more responsibility, a lot of times more burdens come. And it's not that you're put in a place because God knows that you're never going to have struggles. It is not a sin to have struggles. It's not a sin to be fearful at times. It's not a sin to be broken and, 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 and weeping and mourning at times, but it is a sin on how you respond during those times. If you respond and move away toward God, God is saying, no, I can shape you through this. I can strengthen you in this. And see, he's experiencing isolation for three whole weeks. One of the things that I noticed during the past six months or so is how isolated people were getting. A lot of times I would try to call as many people as I could on the phone just to say, like, you all right? Is everything going okay? And, and people would tell me, man, I just feel disconnected. And, I, and here's the thing. When you isolate yourself or when you get isolated from others, man, the devil can start playing tricks on your mind. He start telling you, well, these people don't really even love you. They don't even care about you. They, would, they wouldn't have you around, you know what I mean? Like, all of these things start to come in your mind. Do you know that Proverbs 18, 1... It says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. There's a difference between isolation and solitude. Now, what the enemy wants is for you to be isolated from the body of Christ. He wants you to just slowly not come to church. And what, hap what happened during COVID was this. I'll just be honest with you. People started putting church online and everybody said, some people would get out and say, see guys, don't you realize we can have church online? Yeah, you can have some weak church online. Somebody amen me. It's weak. So, like, I, I appreciate the fact that you can go online, but it is not the same as the physical gathering of the body in the presence of God. And I mean, I'm, and again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that we should not be careful, that we should not take these things into account, but I'm saying that when people begin to isolate themselves, it becomes a playground for the enemy to begin to infiltrate their lives. And what happened was people didn't stay online and say, you know what, I feel really connected to people. You know what happened? People begin to even turn off the TV. People begin to fall away. People begin to isolate themselves and they begin to rage against all wise judgment because they were not able to connect with other people. But there is a difference between solitude and isolation. Isolation is a bad thing, but sometimes, guess what? In my own life, I need to get away from people, not because I need to be away from people, but because I need to be near to God without distraction. 
And during this time, Daniel says, you know what? I'm not going to enter into isolation. Even though I feel alone, even though I feel isolated, I'm going to make this an opportunity for solitude. I'm going to connect with God. And anytime you enter into a place where you feel isolated, you need to make it a time for solitude. Because isolation, it drift, you drift away from God, you drift away from people. But solitude, you get connected with God so that when you re-engage with people, now you have a word from God, you have the heart of God, and you're able to love people more powerfully because you've been alone with God. See, even Jesus would go into solitude sometimes in order to bring about this thing in his life where he would be filled with the Spirit of God. And i, I got to be honest with you. I remember when I first got saved, my whole life transformed. It was like, you know, you know that scripture that says, come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Right When I got saved, I lived in such a weird situation in my life that it was almost like the Holy Spirit forced me away from friends, away from my old lifestyle. And I went into a totally different life where I was living in Oneida at the time. It was like I was never around anybody. I, I, I had a couple of friends, you know what I'm saying? But I felt so alone. I remember people asking me, Clay, is there anything I can pray for you about? I said, be honest with you, I'm just really lonely. Anybody ever been there? For, for about five years of my life, 21 to 26, it was probably the loneliest years of my life. And then I met my beautiful wife, Andrea, right? Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Got to throw that in there. Yeah, Lord answered prayer. But for those five years, for those five years, man, I remember being so lonely. And I remember the Lord dealing with my heart and saying, Clay, I know you feel lonely, but I'm right here with you. And would you turn this into time with me so that you can realize that ultimately at the end of the day, you don't need anything other than me. And God began to shape my heart. And sometimes I have to revisit this, that God, if I lose everything, I've got you. And you are my portion. You're the strength of my life and you are my portion. And ultimately you are all I need. If you take everything from me, I still have you and you are all that I need. And God was trying to work that into my heart because there are seasons of loneliness. There are seasons of depression. There are seasons where you feel broken, but that's the time that you've got to draw near to God. And Daniel enters into this time, but he he has this thing called complex grief. I remember whenever I used to, to uh, work with some counselors and stuff like that, and we'd do some counseling, they talked about complex grief because complex grief is a very, it's, it's a very unusual thing. It's different. Sometimes when bad things happen, what you do is you get sad, you get broken, you learn from it, you process it, you heal from it, and then you move on with life. But complex grief is different because when it hits, it just doesn't go away. And it feels like an avalanche just comes on you and you try to process it, you try to deal with it, you try to move through it, but no matter how hard you try, it feels like a weight is remaining on your chest. It's called complex grief. And Daniel at this point is dealing with this complex grief. And it's throughout Scripture. You remember Job? I want you to, here's what complex grief is. Job, in a moment of time, he's got ten children, right? He's got all kinds of camels and donkeys and oxen and all of these wonderful things. And one, and one day a messenger comes and says, look, man, there's been a catastrophe. You've lost all your cattle. And as soon as that messenger leaves, another messenger comes and says, look, man, there's been a catastrophe. You lost all your camels. And they're lining up and four times messengers come until finally the last messenger comes and says, you lost all your children. They've all gone. They've all died. As far as the eye can see, he sees one messenger after another coming, bringing bad news. I'm telling you, I feel like that's the world we live in right now. I feel like as far as the eye can see, there's another messenger coming to bring us some more bad news. I mean, even the memes on Facebook right now, you know, it's like, it's like they talk about the hornets coming and then something else. And now every time something bad happens, it's just like, you know, well, this is 2020. It's just one bad thing right after another. It just keeps on happening. And that's comp the world is entering into complex grief. 
Jesus said that in the last days, men's hearts would literally begin to fail them for fear of things that are coming upon the earth. That it would be such bad news coming one right after another that they'd be weighed down in complex grief and they would begin, their hearts would begin to fail them. And that's what we see that is, that is ultimately happening right now in the world. And here's the thing. I would strongly encourage you, this is one thing that you've got to learn when you're dealing with this world, is you have to learn how to manage your intake of bad news. Your soul was designed for good news. Like even when we come in here to church, man, I, I hope and pray. Now, sometimes I know I may preach a little bit of a challenging word. I may preach a little bit of a convicting word. But at the end of the day, I need to give you some good news. I need to remind you of who you are as a child of God. I need to remind you that Jesus Christ is still on the throne, that He has purchased you with His blood, that He's filled you with His Spirit, that He has a plan and a destiny and a purpose for your life, and there is always going to be enough strength for you to get through what is coming your way. We need to hear the good news regularly because this world is filled with bad news, and when that's all you intake over and over again, sometimes you need to manage your intake of bad news. Every now and then you need to turn off social media. Every now and then you need to turn off the news. You need to go outside. You need to be with God. You need to watch the wind blow through the trees, folks. You need to look at the sunset and open up the Bible and read a verse of Scripture and let your heart be strengthened in the good news of God and remember that, you, that He is on the throne, that He is in control. And see, what he's saying is, right here, Daniel enters into a time of what is called lamenting. Let's look at uh, verse 4 through 9. So he's mourning and he says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz. That's pretty nice. That'd be a good name for a child if anybody's having one soon. Euphaz. <laughs> his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And he's talking about an angel. Most likely it's the angel Gabriel. And I, Daniel, notice how many times he says he's alone. Alone I saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. Do you know that sometimes God will show you something and the people right there beside you ain't going to see it? He said, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. And therefore I was left alone. And when I saw this great vision and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Notice he was alone. No strength remained in him. His vigor was turned to frailty and he retained no strength. How he starts this out though, I like it, is he gives us the time. Why would he get, throw the time in there? He said now on the 24th day of the first month. Because that would have been the exact time that they were celebrating the deliverance from Egypt. You guys ever read in the Bible and you read like all the miracles in the Bible and you're like, man, that's awesome. That's a really killer story. I wish we could see some of that stuff happen. I read it and I'll say amen to it sometimes when people are preaching it. But when it comes to applying it to my own life, I have a lot, a lot greater difficulty of believing that God's going to do the same miracle in my life. Anybody amen me on that? See, he's trying to remind himself. He's saying, boys, it was actually at the time when we would have been remembering that God is a deliverer that He delivered them from Egypt, that He split the waters and they went through and they were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh because He's trying to remember those things. And you've always got to remember. You've got to remember what God has done in your life in the past. You've got to remember what He did even in the Word of God because the same God that did it back then, He's the same God that will do it today. He is the God of yesterday, today, and ultimately forever. He does not change. 
And He's a God that is still able to do what He did in the past. And sometimes we just have to remember that He is able to do these things. And when you look at the faithfulness of God in history, it helps you to overcome the fear of the future. Sometimes I just have to revisit the miracles that God's done. I've got things that I see in the future and I'm thinking, Oh my God, how's, Lord, how's this going to work out? And I'll go back to Scripture. He'll remind me, Clay, don't you remember when I did that then? I can do that for you. I can supply all of your need. I can take care of you in these situations. There, there will be deliverance. The same God that did it back then is the same God that will do it now. But this angel appears to him, and what it reveals to this, to us, is that God's divine family is in the fight with God's human family. Do you realize that when you pray, I believe this this morning, when we come in here and we worship, man, it, it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good in here as we worship. I bet you, with all of my heart and soul, that in the unseen realm right here in this room, there are angels worshiping with us. There are angels worshiping with us. We say, How do you, why do you believe that, Clay? That's a little bit weird. That's a little bit out there. Well, the Scripture says in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Angels will have ministered and will minister to you in the future. You may not know it, you may not experience it, but there's times of weakness and brokenness where all of a sudden comfort and peace comes. And they're sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. The Scripture says in 103 verse 20 of Psalms, it says that bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. Do you know that angels are sent forth by God to partner with us? And one of the ways that they are activated to partner with us is when they hear the word of God going forth. When we pray the Word of God out of our mouths, when we speak the Word of God out of our mouths, they listen and they are hearkening and they're saying, this person is speaking the Word of God and they are releasing authority to bring change and transformation in this area. Let's go, let's partner with them. And then finally, Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Jesus translated the word fear in the Old Testament to worship in, in Luke chapter 4. He, called, talk, he translated it fear to worship. In other words, they're essentially the same thing when you fear God, you worship God, right? And what he's saying is the angel of the Lord will literally look and wait for people who are worshipers. When they begin to lift their voices, when they begin to sing, the angel of the Lord is paying attention to that and they smell it. It's like a sweet smelling aroma in the spirit and they begin to come and encamp round about those who worship and those worshipers will be delivered because of their worship. And see, we see this reality going on. And what you need to understand is that Daniel is in great turmoil. Why? Because something is breaking out in the unseen realm. And sometimes, whenever you feel the greatest turmoil, whenever you feel the greatest heaviness, whenever you feel the greatest anxiety, it is most likely because in the unseen spiritual realm, warfare is breaking out in your midst. And that we as Westerners, man, we just want to make everything natural. No, that's not the devil, Clay. Let's not even talk about the devil. I mean, come on. We're a little bit more educated than that. You know what I'm saying? Well, this, is the, this is the world we live in. We have to understand as Christians spiritual warfare. It is a biblical reality. If we believe the way that Jesus believed, people say, well, you know, we just want to believe what Jesus believed. Jesus believed in demons more than anybody else, son. Because when he saw issues, he addressed the spiritual realm. The dude stood up in a boat one time and rebuked a storm. That's strange. Jesus was a strange dude in comparison to your natural man. He did things that were uncharacteristic of, of what we would consider just a, a sane person sometimes because he understood that physical realities ultimately had their origin in the spiritual realm. What we see going on in our world is a result of what's going on in the spiritual realm. 
And we have to understand this. And one of the ways that we deal with this, see, he was also dealing with physical depression. It wasn't that Daniel didn't have hope. He did have hope in God. But he was at a point where literally it says that he fell on his face. He had no physical strength left. Have you ever been at a point where you've got hope in God in your heart, but physically you're just exhausted? He's like, I just can't take no more. I'm drained. I got no energy because see, demons and angels aren't like you and I. We got human frailty. We get weak. We get tired. I was over there with Brian and Sheb worked me to death this week, son. They had me slinging a sledgehammer. We was doing demo day a couple of days, you know what I'm saying? And it just about killed me. I ain't a working man like that. You know what I'm saying? I got physical limitations. And when difficult things happen to me and I have to sling, sling a sledgehammer around and stuff like that, I get weak. I go to bed and say, Andre, I don't know if I'm going to make it, baby. Because we got limitations. Our strength gets zapped. And sometimes you just get that way. Where one thing right after another comes, he said, I had no strength left in me. My vigor was gone from me. I, I was entering into physical depression. But here's what he chose to do. Now, most Christians in today's world would have come and said, you know what, Daniel, you just need to stand up on your feet huh, and begin to confess the Word of God. You know, like, like we just say, just, just get up. But do you know that there's a point in life, even throughout the Bible, where lament, mourning, is a proper response? We don't like that in today's world because we'd rather just say, you know what, just get up and bless God and praise God anyway. But there are times when mourning and lament and weeping even, is a proper biblical response. In the book of Psalms, do you know that the greatest category of Psalms in the Bible is actually lament? That means that it starts with a man in such a burden that he realizes that if I don't go to God, I can't carry this burden alone. This burden is too heavy for me and I've got to take it to God and I've got to pour out my complaint to Him and I've got to pour out my soul. And there's actually healing in lament. When we see people that are suffering from loss, we shouldn't just come up to them and say, you know what, boys... It's all going to work out. Everything's going to be all right. Sometimes the Bible teaches that you need to just mourn with those who mourn. You just need to be sad with them. You need to be broken with them. Why? Because we live in a broken world that we were not made for. We do have hope that ultimately Jesus is going to come and fix all things and wipe every tear from every eye. But God has given us a response as human beings in a broken world that is chock full of sin and demonic oppression that when we hurt and when we are broken, we weep and we mourn and we cry and we lament and we learn how to process and God brings us healing. And to lament is to mourn deeply. It's the way the soul processes things in order to work through to get to a place of hope once again. Because so many times, people are so broken that they just don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. They don't see any hope. They don't see it. And see, when you lament... Jesus lamented. You're in good, you're in good shape with, because Jesus, it says, He was the suffering servant. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And even one time, Jesus, who is God, He wept. It says Jesus wept when Lazarus died. It says that Jesus, when He looked over Jerusalem, when they had finally rejected Him and is about to go to the cross, He began to weep and wail and mourn and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He was a man of brokenness. He knew sorrow. He knew lament. Even in the book of, there's a book called Lamentations, you realize that, where Jeremiah, he ain't doing nothing but crying out and weeping and mourning. And when you lament, the first thing you do is you allow yourself to feel. And sometimes what we do when we experience pain and brokenness, the majority of times, here's what I say, is we just stuff it down. We say, I don't want to feel that. I'd rather numb myself. I'm going to binge watch TV. I'm going to eat everything that I can find. And I'm not going to talk to anybody about what I'm going through. Matter of fact, in order to not feel, I'm going to isolate myself, distance myself from people. And matter of fact, I'm going to distance myself from God because I don't want Him dealing with my heart right now. I'm upset about the way things are. And when you lament, you allow yourself to feel. And what I, I told somebody this week, I said, you know what? It's okay to cry. 
It's okay to not know. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to be broken. This is what Daniel was doing. This was not a sinful reaction. This was not a a faithless reaction. You can lament and be broken and cry and still have faith in God. And you can say, God, this is messed up and still have faith in God. And you can go through those things and you can process those things. You allow yourself to feel. Secondly, when you lament, you process pain in the present and fear of the future. You start to deal with what is going on in the present and you start to deal with your fear of the future. Sometimes I have to write down what I'm actually fearing. I'm afraid of this. And when I write it down, I'm like, that's dumb. Why am I afraid of that? Y'all ever done that? And you you start start to just think about what are you afraid of? Why is it you're afraid? Is it because you've been rejected once before and you're afraid if you'll put yourself out there, you'll be rejected again? And, And all of these things are going on. But see, you start to process that. Number three, you grieve your involvement and you shed your victim mindset. In other words, there are things that happen to us in life. Sometimes it's just a random circumstance, a random event. We don't know why it happened. We had no involvement in it. But do you know sometimes that there's been bad things that happened to me and a lot of it was because of things that I did? And I have to actually grieve my involvement in it and realize, Lord, I should have done differently. I should not have reacted that way. I should not have said that. I should not have done that. I repent of that, Lord. And here's the thing. Guess what? God will forgive you and God will restore and God will love you back into wholeness. But sometimes I have to process the fact that I could have done things differently and I need to make a course correction right here. I need to make a change. And that's part of lamenting. That's part of lamenting. It's that I'm broken. I need help. I need to move on. Right? But you shed your victim mindset because what we like to do is blame it on the world, blame it on God, and blame it on everybody else around us and just say, I'm the victim. I didn't deserve this, but it caused... You know what? And God could have kept me from even going through this. That's a part of the grieving process. I get that. Number four, you empathize with others who are hurting when you lament. This means that you don't stay self-focused. This means that you start to realize, look, man, everybody in the world is going through these things. You are not alone. Everybody in the world are going through difficulties that are challenging them, that are bringing them to their wits end. And you start to empathize with them because you realize I'm not the only human being who's hurting in this world. And fifthly, you work through the cycle of grief. Any of y'all, you know what the cycle of grief is? I was looking at I got a terrible picture that I stole off the internet this morning. And you probably can't even see it. But it begins with shock and denial. You go through something bad. And you just deny it. You're like, no, man, I, I, I just reject that. This has not happened. This could not have happened. But then you move into anger, frustration, anxiety. And a lot of times when people get hurt, I see this more and more every day. That people turn away from God and they get so mad at God for allowing something to happen. And you know what? I'll even say this. God's not too, He's not upset at you over that. He understands the pain that you're feeling. But but, but what I'm saying is that you've got to move past that anger at some point. And the next stage is depression and detachment because then you realize it starts to set in. This is really the way things are. And you start to detach from others. You start to detach from God. But then, you, then you're like, oh man, I can't stay in this place of depression. So what do you do? You finally start talking about it. And a lot of times when you start talking about it, what you see is a lot of toxic stuff coming up. You see, well, I, I'm angry. This is what happened. I don't like it. I don't feel good about it. And, and I can't believe God allowed this to happen. And you're, but at least you're processing it. And then finally you come to a place of acceptance and you say, all right, this is the way that it is. This is the way that it's going to be, but I can still move on. And ultimately you try to return to a meaningful life. And here Here's what I want to say about this. I believe that this process is real. I told somebody the other day, we work on this building so much over here, I noticed that I actually went through the grief cycle when it comes to how broken down this building is over here. Somebody amen me, right? It's like, boy, surely I denied it at first. 
And then I got angry, you know. Then I entered into depression because we're over here fixing leaks and air conditioning units all the time. But finally, you know what? I came to a place of acceptance. And I said, boys, we can install some PTAC units. You know, amen, Brian? <laughs> so, but you can return to a meaningful life. You can move on. You can go through that, that. But I'll say this for the sixth thing on a Christian, and that is thanksgiving. Ultimately, we move back to God, and at the end of that, there is healing in our hearts. Jesus said, I've come to preach the good news to the poor, and I have come to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to heal those who are broken. And I know many of you, you come in here broken and you've gotten stuck in a place of complex grief, of mourning. Maybe you've stuffed it. Maybe you don't want to process it. But God is saying, bring that to me. I'll help you process it and I will heal your wounds. And you can move on and you will find purpose in what you're going through. You'll find meaning in what you're going through. And if you will lament, come and cry to me. God will bottle up your tears. He'll bottle up your tears and He'll be right there with you in the midst of that and He will show you. And then the sixth thing is, though, is that you escape being a religious response. Because as Christian people, man, we need to be emotionally present with people. Like, you know, when somebody experiences loss, what they don't want to hear from their pastor is, well, you know, Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for those who love... If somebody said that to me after I'd experienced a great deal of loss, I'd probably want to kick them in the face. Anybody amen me? I don't want to hear that this is going to work out for good. There's a time for that verse, but that verse doesn't tell us when things are going to work out for good. Right now, I'm in pain. And as Christians, sometimes we get uncomfortable when people are going through pain because we don't want to hear about their pain. We don't want to hear about their suffering. Let's just try to say something positive and move on so we don't have to feel anything. But folks, we are living in a broken world, and when brokenness is out there, the church has to be emotionally present. The church has to say, look, I'm here to mourn with you. I'm here to be broken with you. I'm here to come alongside and walk with you through this. But the thing that you need to understand is that your pain right now is a part of the great war. You are not alone. People all over the world are experiencing pain. They're experiencing suffering. They've got questions. They're aggravated with uh, the circumstances that are going on in their life. And your pain is a part of the great war. And here's what we're going to finish with. I'm going to give you five things that got Daniel through his crisis and will get you through your crisis. Because when the angel comes to him and he's at his breaking point, he's as weak as he's ever been. In verse 10 it says, Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I've now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. And the first thing that God will do, and he did for Daniel, that will get you through the crisis is just the ministry of the presence of God. A lot of times I'll even hear people, somebody told me the other day, uh, or a week or two ago, that they said, you know, I've just been going through a difficult situation. And when I finally came into church and I worshipped, he said there was just an overwhelming peace. They just, just, by, just the ministry of the presence of God. And what you need to know is God sent this angel to Daniel, but God has sent more than just an angel to you. You have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the one called alongside. And He's come to give you peace. And the ministry of the presence of God will get you through hard times. I'm telling you, you can be broken down and come in here and begin to sing to the Lord and begin to worship and peace comes into your heart, does it not? You start to sense, man, God's with me. God's good. And you can just take a moment to worship, to turn your heart toward God, and the presence comes in. And that came in for Daniel. And secondly, he got a reminder that he was greatly loved and his suffering was not personal. Now, when, when the angel Gabriel shows up and he shows up to Daniel, he says, man, greatly beloved. Now, here's what's really interesting about this word, right? This word, greatly beloved, there's a, there's a, there's a Hebrew word. It's called himda, 
right? Doesn't matter. You don't have to ever say that again in your life, right? But it's called, and it's, and it's this word greatly beloved. And right here in the Hebrew language, it's really neat because when they want to express something, they say the same word twice, right? They say the same word twice. So like, for example, in, in, in uh, Isaiah 26, 3, it says, He who keeps his mind on the Lord shall stay in perfect peace. And that perfect peace is translated, it's really just the same word, shalom, shalom, twice, but it's translated perfect peace instead of peace, peace. Because he's trying to say this is like a real peace. You know what I'm saying? Like accentuated peace, like heavy peace. And in the beginning, Daniel says, I ate no pleasant food. I ate no hymda food. I ate no desirable food. It's the same word that he uses for greatly beloved. And basically what, what Gabriel is saying to Daniel, he's saying, Daniel, you were mourning and you were broken. But because you chose to turn to the Lord and you set aside that which was loved and desirable. You know how last week I talked about how I'm a two burger, two dog kind of guy. I love food. You know what I'm saying? We love certain things. But sometimes when we come to seek the Lord, we have to set aside things that we love and are desirable. And when we do so, we become love loved by God. But here's what I want you to understand is it doesn't change God's love toward you. You're already loved loved. But when you pray and you fast and you seek God, you come into that reality even more. You sense the reality of it. A lot of you don't feel loved by God, but if you would draw near to Him, you would start to sense that reality. It's already there. It's already real, but you don't sense it. And He's saying, if you would set aside those things which you love and draw into my presence, you would hear my voice saying over you, you are more deeply loved than you could ever imagine. And you need to experience that reality. The more we gather together, the more we seek the face of God, you experience this reminder that you are greatly loved and your suffering is not personal. And what I mean by that is this. So many people I've talked to recently, they are going through a very difficult time. Maybe they got a physical ailment, whatever they may have. And, and they say to me, a lot of times they say, God, they say, Clay, this is God punishing me for the things that I've done. Can I tell you something? How about no? How about No. How about it's probably at least a thousand times more likely that Satan is attacking you physically based on what I know about the New Testament. Jesus never went to a person who was oppressed or broken or hurting or sick and afflicted and say, hey, buddy, that's God punishing you for what you've done. No, he blamed it on the devil. He said the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when I see a loss, death, and destruction, I'm not blaming it on God, but Satan will come and bring pain, bring loss, bring death, bring suffering, and say, look at what God has done to you. And you believe it and you say, this is personal. This is an attack against my life. I'm telling you, this is not God punishing you. This is an attack from the evil one. And maybe God is allowing it because God is, uh, he, he is allowing it to some degree because we could say, well, God, why would he allow? Listen, we, he has designed a world in which we don't understand a lot of the unseen things. We've, he's designed a world. We're going to find out that there is human will. There is the, the, the freedom of angelic activity and God is sovereign over it all. He sees it all. But we have a role to play and there are all kinds of variables at work. But it is not a personal attack against you. People all throughout the world are going through random events, going through sin and pain and suffering, and it's not a personal attack against you. In verse 12, then the angel says to him, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God... Your words were heard, and I have come because of your word. Thirdly, he has a humble heart that prayed. In other words, he's saying, look, he says, don't fear, Daniel. As soon as you begin to pray, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Sometimes we just got to humble ourselves and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying. And it took 
the angel 21 days to get there where he heard this, but he says, your words were heard and I've come because of your words. When you begin to pray and your words go forth, it unlocks spiritual warfare and God is beginning to release things on your behalf. And it may take some time, but you have to learn to humbly persist in prayer. Fourthly, he gives him a reminder to fear not. When you get bad news, your first reaction as a human being is to fear, to be afraid. And you, have, you know the one greatest reminder and the greatest commandment throughout Scripture? Fear not. Don't be afraid. He's reminding me. Say, Daniel, do not be afraid. Fear not because you are going to get through this and everything is going to be okay. And two of the greatest things that you can remember to do in the Christian life is to hang on and do not be afraid. Hang on, persist in prayer, continue to stay strong, and do not be afraid, for God is with you. Verse 13, he says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. And what you see is this. Daniel, he's saying to Daniel, he's saying, Daniel, look, you started to pray and the first day that you prayed, we heard you in the heavens. God heard you and God dispatched me and I came to bring you an answer, but I was withstood by a demon principality, a power, and it was the prince of Persia. What is he saying? He's saying that a fallen angel that is over a geographic region named Persia, right, resisted him in the spiritual realm. I want, you to be, I want you to understand this. Could you believe that when we begin to pray as a body, when we begin to worship, that all of a sudden war breaks out in the heavens? And when you begin to pray, it seems like sometimes the answer has not come. You could even say, man, I've been praying for I've been praying three weeks, Lord, and nothing has moved. And all of a sudden the angel shows up and said, look, we heard you the first day that you begin to pray. And it's because you persisted that I'm here now because you persisted in prayer. When we pray, we empower the war of the kingdom of heaven against the powers of darkness. Why? Because God has given us authority in this world. And what happens on this world is a direct reflection of whether or not we come into agreement with God or whether or not we come into agreement with the enemy. And when we begin to pray, spiritual war breaks out. Somebody amen me. And that's why we persist in prayer. That's why we don't give up. Because prayer is not just about me and God. Somebody said, well, it's just God. He can do anything. I prayed and He didn't answer. No, He answered Daniel on day one. It just took a while for the breakthrough to come. Because things are going on in the unseen realm that you do not understand. And this is why you persist in prayer. Because sometimes delay is demonic. In 1 Thessalonians 2.18, what did Paul say? He said, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, I wanted to come to you time and again, but Satan hindered us. Are you telling me that it was the will of God for him to go visit somebody, but Satan hindered him? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. We're in a warfare. Some delay is demonic, and that's why we continue and we persevere. And when we feel broken and when we feel depressed and when we're anxious and when we're worried, we continue to pray and seek God because we are in the middle of the battle and breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming, and we hang on because if we persist, there is going to be a breakthrough that comes in the end. But praying and waiting can be exhausting. I understand that. But always assume that it's not that God is not answering, but war is happening. And you're in the middle of a war. Now here's the last set of verses, and I'll get to my last point. But in verse 15 it says, When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. This angel's talking to him, and he is... 
I don't know. Maybe if you, if you had a conversation with an angel, I'd say maybe the same thing would happen, right? But he, he, he becomes speechless. He falls to the ground, and suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision of my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. So when, I, when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I believe that God is going to speak to some people today and they're going to be strengthened. He said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Number five, the last thing, is that God comes and how he gets you through the crisis is he gives a, you a strengthening touch that brought peace and courage, that brings peace and courage. God wants to give you a strengthening touch that will bring peace and courage. And here's the thing, God, God will come to, to, to meet us in our circumstance. And no matter what you're dealing with right now, I promise you that more than anything, what Jesus has come to do is to love you back into wholeness, to heal your broken heart. But see, sometimes we do have to process these things. Sometimes we have to be willing to go through these things. And maybe, maybe you're not going through anything right now. Maybe you just feel like, you know what, Clay, my life is just like a dream right now. Everything is just amazing. Well, I promise you there's somebody that you know that's near and dear to you and close to you that they're going through something. And they need somebody to come alongside of them and be that strengthening voice in their life. And maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's what you're called to do right now in this season. But it also could be that you're going through something that you've not even... Maybe you've even stuffed it away and God is saying, I need you to bring that to the surface. I need you to bring me that burden because it's time for me to heal you. It's time for me to bring healing into your life, to heal those wounds, to heal your broken heart. And God comes to bring strength and He comes to bring courage in the midst of these difficult times. Now, I want you to understand something. Did the circumstances that Daniel was going through change on the outside? No, they didn't change. You know what did change? What was taking place on the inside. And your circumstances on the outside may not change for a season, but God can change what is going on on the inside of you. He can bring you strength. He can bring you courage. I want you to know, when we focus on Jesus, when we focus on His eternal kingdom, He comes and He gives us even more strength to realize that no matter what we're going through ultimately, Jesus is going to return and He is going to bring an end to this invisible war. And He's going to manifest His kingdom and He's going to wipe every tear away from every eye. He's going to set all things right. The loss that we've experienced just like, just like with, with Job, it was restored double to Him. Let me tell you something. When we enter into the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ and all of our loss, all of our loved ones that have gone on before us, we're going to get more than just double restored. It's going to be an infinite amount restored that we, you can never imagine. But right now we are in warfare. And the greatest war that we face is this war called sin that ultimately is, brings about the greatest enemy, and that is death. And the thing that we've got to know if we're going to get through this war in the end is we've got to know that Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross for our sins. And we can believe in Him and we can have eternal life. So I just want you to bow your heads right now and I want you to just pray with me. And Lord, right where each and every person is, God, you know their hearts. 
And I just want to speak to you right now. If, you, if you're here and you, and you feel like, you know what, I am ready to make a commitment to Jesus. I want to know that I'm saved. I want to know Jesus Christ personally as my Lord and my Savior. I'm ready to, to confess my sins. I'm ready to receive that forgiveness. I'm ready to receive eternal life. He says if you believe in Him with your heart, that He died on you for the cross, on the cross and that He was raised from the dead for justification from your sins. You believe that, you confess Him as Lord with your mouth, that you will be saved. How many of you say, I want to make that commitment right now? Would you just lift your hand let me know? Just say, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Anybody at all? got a hand, got a couple hands. Anybody? Now right now I want to pray. I want to pray for you but I also want to pray for those who are going through a season. I want you to just begin to bring your burden to the Lord. Lord Jesus, right now we come to you. God, there are people that have experienced loss. They've experienced pain. They've experienced brokenness. They've got questions. But Lord, right now you are there with them. With the healing ministry of your presence. And I pray, Lord, that your presence would be released right now that you would begin to release hope and restoration and healing, God, into their lives. Lord, you've got plans for us the same way that you did whenever they went into Babylon and you said, I've got plans, I've got a hope and a future for you. But Lord, sometimes we're overwhelmed like Daniel was with grief and with brokenness and it feels like we're under an avalanche. But God, would you lift that burden right now, Lord Jesus? Would you bring peace? Would you bring supernatural strength? Would you bring healing? And would you begin to release hope and joy into our lives? Lord, we receive that healing right now into our hearts on behalf of each person. And we pray for hope and joy and love to just to begin to arise. I want you to stand to your feet. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship the Lord together this morning. I want you to respond to Him in whatever way you see fit. Just begin to pray. Lift your worship to the Lord. I believe the Holy Spirit is here to bring strength. I believe the Holy Spirit is ministering to people right now. So let's just begin to lift our voices. Let's just begin to worship one last time together.